Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are James, Ricky, and Milo. Hello, chaps. Hi, yeah. Hi, Steph. Hi, Steph. Well, if Carlsberg did weekends, eh? <laughs> it started nicely with Everton beating Man United. It picked up some serious pace as Brighton dispatched the goons at the Death Star, and with everyone looking to see if we would fluff our lines, we instead took Aston Villa apart by four goals to nil. This despite the first half, we saw Gerrard's side return to the days of Kenny Burns, Norman Hunter, and possibly a bit of Pat Van Den Howe. We will discuss it all shortly with some added colour from our man in the stands yesterday, Jay, who also wants to remind us there was one other result this weekend, which was rather joyous, and that was... Brentford 2, West Ham nil. Ah, wonderful, isn't it? Go on the bees. After that, we will be switching focus to look at how the position of fullback has developed over the years, with a particular look at Antonio Conte's use of reliance on them. Q1 ageing duffer on this pod, waxing lyrical about how Trent Alexander-Arnold learned everything he knew from the mighty Chris Hewton. But first of all, as usual, we start with Milo's intro question. This week, he would like to know, where is the worst smelling place that you've ever been? James! Had a feeling you were coming to me first, and luckily I've done some prep. Uh... (laughs) So in around 2003, I took a position as a research assistant on a uh, on a shark shark boat, basically down near Cape Town. And um, once a week, we had to go to uh, it's kind of like a fish fish factory, basically, to collect chum. I mean, fish factories smell bad enough as it is, but when they sweep all the crap into a corner of the building, which drains into a dustbin, and for no charge hopefully um we were able to collect a few smaller buckets worth of this stuff and then carry it down to the boat um i just was gagging the whole way through the process um but that's how you attract the sharks and um the combination of guts blood whatever else is in that mess um works a treat with great whites when you said you'd done some research for this, I thought you were going to say that you changed a nappy just before coming, just before the recording. Well, that that, that bin in her room is literally hell on earth, and it's ruined the outdoor bin as well. To be honest, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Mm. That was my second option. Oh my word! Well, a, a, a double there for you to beat Ricky. Come on. Um, well, I was going to say um, Sellers Park last Monday in the Emirates on. Um, uh, you've taken you fucking stunk the place out you've just taken oh my god you stole it from me you said anyway carry on are you have no, I'm actually l- when i read this on the notes um i'm gonna go with the first thing that came into my mind and it must prove that it is it is engraved on my mind my well my eyes and my nose probably but probably this is in the mid late late 1990s me and the mrs ricky we were in um Kathmandu. you'll love this then <laughs> And we were getting, um, we were getting a coach or more of a bus than a coach to sort of, um, we were, we were going from Nepal to sort of northeast India and it was like one of those overnight journeys. And, um, it just kind of rolls on through the night, sort of hot weather, same. And when we got to the border, which is Karkapitra, I think, we have to do, you have to do the border post thing where, you know, you have to do all your documents thing. And I was like desperate for the toilet, like, you know, been on a long bus journey. Anyway, and I asked, they said, oh, yeah, the toilets are just there, just there. And there was like this kind of mound with three, you could call them cubicles, but if you imagine the kind of corrugated iron and a few bits of wood nailed together for the doors. And I looked and thought, have I got to go in there? <laughs> and I sort of ascended these kind of little kind of concrete blocks. And I opened the door and the smell, I can still smell it now, remember it. It was just, <laughs> it actually had one of those porcelain kind of tray things with the hole. And do you know when you meant to just squat? And to say it was porcelain, it was hard to see that it was white. 
That's what I'm saying, right? It was just covered in anything you can imagine that people have passed through there. There were flies, there were mosquitoes, there was just the whole thing. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have to do this somehow. And all you're wanting to do, because you have to do that squat thing, you don't want to touch anything. You don't and you don't like want your slip. pants to touch the floor. You've no, got to keep your exactly. pants clear of your own asshole and the floor, which is, at this point, an act of gymnastic act. What's that? Yeah, I didn't. Have, I didn't have shorts on either. So you've got the kind of more kind of oh. material of the trousers that you've got to kind of lower yeah, and yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. And you sort of pulling them forward with one hand as you yeah, squat yeah, to make sure you don't yeah. shit on them. Yeah, and but the thing was, I, I was in a situation where I couldn't think. Oh, I think I'll wait to the next stop because the next <laughs> stop was another two hours ahead when we got to Silgary or somewhere like that, and. Um, it was just the most unpleasant, horrible experience I've had. And I always remember opening that door and just thinking it was, it was, it was horrible. I mean, luckily I'd had the old hepa and the cholera and all the typhoid injections, I think. So, um, I was trying to avoid catching something, but, um, yeah, that was a horrific smell. And I always remember it. And that's why I'm saying that now, really, because it's the first thing that came to my mind. Oh, Milo, you're going to have to go some to beat that. I'm going to struggle. So Ricky talking about the coach trip reminded me of uh, doing the um, overnight coach trip back from Glasgow when I lived up there down to London. And it used to leave just kind of just after the pubs closed. And if you had, if you had the, uh, the seat next to the, um, next to the bogs on the, on the, on the coach there, that was grim, but that wasn't the one I was going to say. Um, I grew up in Canterbury and uh, Canterbury used to have a tannery in the town centre and the chemicals they used to treat the leather stink to high heaven. And if the wind was blowing in the wrong direction, the whole town stank and um, it's just horrible. I, it's awful. (laughs) It's interesting. I could not isolate a single smell i really couldn't i was trying to think of smells like worst smelling places i've ever been i just couldn't i mean it comes down to various public bathrooms um that i've had to use over the years and i mean it's a generally a universal smell for me is that is awful is when you step into an an unwashed public bathroom and i mean it could be anywhere so i'm sort of letting us down a little bit i don't have anywhere specific uh you did however steal my thunder uh, a bit ricky because i was actually going to go into a lengthy diatribe about how whenever i went to Highbury it had an incredibly weird and nasty smell I could never get out of my nostrils and it just seemed to permeate um, my senses and and leave a nasty nasty shadow on my soul for the entire time I was in there um uh, peter cook has spoken about this as well but yeah so um i, I think that that's the best i've got to offer i really couldn't think of uh, anything more disappointed steph i thought we'd get the filth and the fury from the on the ro- you know on the on the road rock and roll tales of um... <laughs> but the thing is you usually are smelly and, and you know barfing crusted or whatever as people around you right so you don't really you're usually not you really can't smell it if you think yourself sort of something like that and i've done plenty <laughs> of nights like that for sure but yeah but no it's it's um it, it's yeah i'm afraid i've let the side down a bit here chaps of uh nothing nothing much to report either that or my nose doesn't work very well i don't know oh i'll tell you one ozzy went through a period of dropping stink bombs in the lobby at really expensive hotels that i mean they stank and it was fun to watch him watch people because they didn't know he'd done it <laughs> yeah you know that was quite good anyway anyway should we go to the week that was mm-hmm Bit more Aussie, yeah, go on. Yeah, and uh, from one Aussie to another, actually, yes, yeah, yeah. And we've got someone living in Australia with us. That's a triple Oz on the game is about glory. Um, 
quite seriously, club legend Ozzy Ardila successfully underwent heart surgery last week and he's now apparently recovering. Um, he's apparently been let home now, which is good. And I hear that he's uh, doing very well. I mean, I think we're, we're all seeing those reports um, and we want to wish him a full and speedy recovery. And I'm sure you will all join us in that sentiment. Get well soon, Ozzy. Indeed. Uh, another person uh, that we would like to see get well soon, albeit from not quite a serious um, a condition. Uh, it's the ongoing saga of Oliver Skip's knackered groin. It appears not to have quite reached the positive conclusion Antonio Conti thought, as Skippy felt some pain and discomfort in the area after outdoor training earlier this week. Um, the club are obviously confident in the long term, as rumours are that he is about to sign a new deal, thus ensuring Antonio is happy because, uh, as we saw, he loves the man. And when asked, I think by Ali Gold it was, um, you know, about whether he would see him at, uh, this season, I mean, he, Antonio was incredulous. He was like, well, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it's unthinkable mm. that he won't be back. Um, so there we go. Let's hope we see Oliver Skip back before the end of the season. Right. In the same week that Pink Floyd <laughs> released new music for the first time in over two decades, and as we all know, Pink Floyd are the only band uh, who have ever produced a pig that flies. I watched the video for it, and Nick Mason, the drummer, is the absolute spit of David Pleat these days. It really, really <laughs> spooked me out. The, the sight of Pleaty drumming uh, was was something else. It was frightening, yeah, yeah indeed. Well, I bring, I bring this up because, um, again, as I say, Pink Floyd are the band that whenever you think of pigs in the sky, you think of Pink Floyd, right? And any of us who had the fortune to see Pink Floyd live will have seen um, a Pink Floyd pig in the sky. Um, and it is uh, wholly relevant when I tell you that UEFA have approved financial fair play replacement. So <laughs> I would put that firmly in the category of... Uh, Pigs can fly. <laughs> Let's see if they do. In this case, uh, UEFA have approved the new financial controls that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, with clubs restricted to spending 70% of their revenue. Um, there is no uh, confirmation of the rumour that lawyers for clubs such as Manchester City are rubbing their hands with glee at, the, <laughs> at this and the uh, chance to you know, uh, further find their way through alleyways of uh, avoidance, shall we say. That's my editorial comment, and I'm sure that's going to end up on the floor. Anyway, that's your headline. Watch this space to see what sort of chicanery takes place, and don't hold your breath, would be my advice. Aston Villa. I mean, look, before we talk about the game, Ricky, you were there. What yeah. was the atmosphere like? Give us the rundown. Well, I, I drove to this one, but then as fast as my little legs were carrying me, I went to the Witten Arms. That's the favourite pub near the away end at um, Villa Park for our mob. Call them the mob because we do behave like a mob when we're away. Um, but yeah, uh, we have our own open space at the back there. And luckily the old Midland sunshine was shining and everyone in fine spirits drunk them out of cans, the only draft stuff left. So we did, we did all right on that front. But we were all there expecting... I think we were all expecting, like, because obviously we could follow the Arsenal game we were there. We were all expecting probably that that's the three points for Arsenal. So as the old kind of, you know, the old, in, well, the internet connect, connection was shit all day, basically. So it was quite hard to get information in. It was just, you know, it was hoping like a pigeon might arrive with a score update or something. <laughs> but um, yes, the results came in. And of course, that's one thing that all away fans are going to like is a bit of the old enemy getting sunk by one goal and then another goal and having a nice VAR goal disallowed as well. You get a cheer for that one as well. And of course, um, that sets, you know, that that lights a fire under us. We're off to sort of, you know, it's a stone throw to the um, Doug Ellis tier stand there and that set a fire under us. Sort of great fine voice. And um, Were you singing? Uh, a, 
Pod, yeah, we're all singing. Everyone were you singing? Did you sing Gimme, Gimme, Gimme a Ginger from Sweden? Yeah, loads of Gimme, Gimme. And I kept trying to take because there's a couple of fans there with really nice Swedish flags that they've done with kind of uh, Kulu stuff on it. But I just, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get my phone out quick enough. I was always gutted. It all became a bit of a running joke. I think I must have missed three or four <laughs> photo opportunities. But um, yeah, everyone outside the away and anything before they went in, really, because, you know, Arsenal have lost. That's a massive bonus for us. I mean, some people are saying, oh, yeah, it's quite good. It's like a free hit now. But I'm more like, no, it's this, we don't want to take this as a free hit. We need the other way, which is mm. like we just really put them to the sword now and put the pressure on. And, of course, um, I mean, then when the game started, I mean, it couldn't have gone better because Sonny um, struck that great goal to start with. And uh, that got everyone in even better voice. We just thought this is a day of all days. And then, as we're probably going to talk to now, um, I talk about now, Villa sort of, then thought, well, no, you're not going to have it all your own way. So, you know, the nails start getting bitten and we're all kind of a bit quieter and thinking, you know, I mean, we've always got, we've always got faith in the team, but it was some of the first half was a hard watch. But let's, but let me ask you this before I go to Milo, because this is something I, I think that unless you've been to away games and even a semi-regular basis, it's hard for people to understand. I think our away support is peerless in terms of support. I rarely hear, I, I can't remember an away game where our away support has got down on the team. It just doesn't happen, right? I mean, and it did, I'm sure it didn't happen at Villa Park, right? No, no, it, I would, not during that first half. I think we were just kind of a bit, you know, we were taken aback by Villa's approach and, and putting us under the cosh. So that naturally kind of reins us in a little bit because obviously up to that point, the day, the day was going swimmingly. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, the away support is always great. I think it's all part of, I mean, obviously most, they're, they're all kind of season ticket holders, but I think it's more because, you know, they have, you know, it's a day out really. It's a lot of a longer Absolutely. day. You're going to another town, city, whatever, and everyone's, we've all kind of been, without making it sound too fair, we've all been let out for the day, haven't we? You know what but I mean? it is so, true. Uh, but that's very, it is but, true. no, it's great. I loved, I loved what you said about that, about the lead into this game and, and, and the fact that you had that lead in because the feral nature of an away game is part of it. And being in the Witten Arms, as you were describing, I'm living that. I'm living that with you. I mean, I've done that myself up there before. I mean, and it is great. And it, I should be celebrated. We shouldn't be afraid of that. Fantastic. Feral Ricky singing Ginger from Sweden. That's a lovely image. Yeah. I love it. Great. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, let, let me let me move on to you, Milo, and ask you, uh, look, the first half was hard work. And, uh, you know, we all have our, our thoughts as to why that was. Why don't you kick us off with your thoughts as to why it was? I think Villa were quite clever. You know, in front of our defence, you've got, you know, Watkins, Continuo and Ings, and then uh, McGinn, Luis and uh, Ramsey behind them. And rather than get drawn onto us, you know, what we want ideally when we're trying to play out from the back is uh, for a man to come to the ball and create space for us to attack. So we're trying to get, we're trying to create that, um, you know, outnumbering them. And Villa didn't fall for it. They stood off us, uh, blocked out the passing lines, and uh, it made it very difficult for us to, to play the ball through through to midfield. Um, and yeah, I just think they were smart. I think it was a smart game plan. It, we, we struggled to adapt to it. And then, you know, obviously I know we're going to go and talk to them about them roughing us up later on. So I'll pass on, uh, pass, you know, pass on that for now. But I think a combination of kind of, um, just, you know, sound tactics that, you know, we struggled to adapt to and, uh, and uh, you know, just being quite physical, uh, made it a really difficult, uh, uh, you know, difficult half for us. Yeah, let's shine a light also on Hugo um, uh, for a moment. Uh, he made two crucial saves and was generally um, a real, really important presence in the first half. Uh, and, and James, I know that you've got some things to say about Hugo and uh, that'll be interesting for people to hear. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, <clears throat> he did have an amazing first half. Um, to keep a clean sheet throughout the whole game was impressive, but particularly in that first first half. And um, I think the standout one was probably the one on about the 15th minute where Ramsey kind of, mm. I wouldn't say walks through, but cut through our defence a little bit too easily um, and unleashed a fairly ferocious shot from basically the edge of the corner of the six-yard box, which obviously didn't give Hugo more than a split second to make that save. But um, to deflect that one was absolutely critical to us going on and getting a good uh, a good result from that game because it was, you know, 10 minutes after our goal or so, um, it would have got them right back in it. And as, as we've just touched on, I mean, Villa were playing with a bit of... Um, I mean, to me, it was like the spirit of Stevie G, wasn't it? Um, he, uh, you know, he still loved going through people and... Um, you know, for, yeah, huge save for Hugo to make. I mean, I think there were others that were decent. We, um, we've got the Coutinho free kick just on the stroke of half time where he tried a cheeky, um, near, near post top corner, um, which Hugo again had to save, but it wasn't, it wasn't easy, but it also wasn't, it would have, we'd have been pretty annoyed if that had gone in at his near post, I think. So it's a difficult one for a keeper, kind of no, no winning there, but, um, other than that, there was a few long shots from McGinn um, and others, which I think were expected saves. Um, but yeah, really, I think the fact that we managed to keep that clean sheet in the first half is partly down to Villa's, um, I won't say woeful finishing, but Danny Ings should have put that one away at the back post. It's, uh, yeah, a combination of the two things. Decent. He was also good in his box. He came out and claimed stuff, which we don't always see from him. And, you know, in terms of his kicking, which is sometimes does let him down, he was he was solid enough. So all round, I'd give him an 8, eight out of 10, I'd say, for that game. They were awful, weren't they? In front of goal, they were awful. They wasted so many decent chances. Yeah, there was plenty. I mean, there was plenty of heart-in-the-mouth moments up in the stands. You just think, you're just waiting for the net to just bulge. And then it just... I counted two sitters, mm. both on Danny Ings. I mean, the rest, other than that, I can't think of any sitters that Villa missed, did they? The flick header at the at the back post and the free kick, the chip free kick when he was one-on-one with right. Hugo. Those are the two for me. Th- Yeah, yeah, I'd say they were the two sitters. I think um, I th- Watkins had a header in the middle of the goal as well, which he, I think he could have done better with. But sometimes if they're just yeah, a tiny bit too high, you can't necessarily head it down. But Yeah, I and thought. you never know, a little little bit of little nudge here and there. But we, we, we remained... Uh, Fairly strong in terms of fortitude. Um, I, I'm going to put this to you, Ricky. How much of a factor mental strength was in surviving that first half, and whether we could have done that pre-Conti? And I mean, and as you know, we were talking about this before we started recording, and you know my feelings on it are that uh, unequivocally, I don't think we could have. I don't think we. I think we would have folded at some point. But we really just seemed to dreadnought our way through it. There always seemed to be a bod- a clumsy body. Sometimes there always seemed to be someone in the way of doing something. And there, did it feel a little more like ah, oh, we're gonna we're gonna fight our way through this when you're in the stands and do you think our mental strength has improved under Antonio Conte well it definitely felt like it was all hands to the pump I think in that kind of first half but um and I, but I think I think almost logically our mental strength's improved because I think possibly the first phase of Conte coming in and going through the squad is to filter out the people that mm. are mentally weak I think or not pulling in the right direction I agree with and that. it seems like we've landed on our feet as well because one of the qualities of the two that we have brought in, and of course, well, obviously, you'll never doubt Romero's mental strength, <laughs> um, uh, is Bentacor and Kudelski seem to 
have that kind of will to win and not be phased and still show up. They don't hide and they and, and that kind of thing. I think under Nuno, we might have just sat more and more and the same as when we was Mourinho, where we would just sit more and more deeper and deeper and not have... And the other thing is we then haven't got the belief in ourselves necessarily going the other way. Mm. And I think that can build... Uh, and having success like we have been doing and it's been snowballing would actually bring its own belief as well. We we can probably, you can probably go through the hard times thinking the good moments will come because they have been coming. And the more they, the more that happens, the more that builds, I think. But you make a brilliant point um, about weeding out people who the manager doesn't consider mentally tuned in for his football in this mm. division. And he made that point actually earlier in the week when asked about Lo Celso. Lo Celso's name came up because obviously he was part of a victorious um, quarterfinal Champions League uh, side. And uh, he made the point that he's a great player, but that he just doesn't think he's uh, he's a premiership player. Uh, he he made this point. Uh, I've forgotten. I think he might have said it to the Guardian. I mean, he was fairly open about it. I was quite surprised at how open he was. Um, but it does underscore your point that you know he went through and very unequivocally weeded out three players that would have previously been considered quote unquote Tottenham players in terms of their talent and so on and so forth. And he's like, no, you're yeah. not for me. Yeah. I, I think the other thing is is that we part of our game plan is to invite pressure onto us, invite teams onto us. Um, and then to exploit the space that they leave behind, which means that we've got quite a lot of experience of um, defending under pressure. Because, mm. you, know, you know, I said earlier on about, you know, one of the things Villa did well was not uh, get drawn to the ball when our defenders have the ball. What we're looking for when we do that, you know, Dyer particularly when he's sitting deepest is to is to play a very, very late pass out. But when a man's coming onto him, you know, to exploit that space. And, you know, we saw this uh, last week against Newcastle where, um, you know, where we're passing it out from defence and then moving forward for, you know, under pressure and then and playing out, you know, very, very quickly. You know, the, the kind of the strength of the automations there where, you know, everyone kind of, you know, that, that move is preordained. Everyone knows where they're going to run before, before the first ball's even been played. And that kind of playing under that kind of pressure, I think, kind of builds that mental strength and builds that confidence in the players around you. And if you think about just... Uh, just say this last part and then shut up. But, um, you know, when we were kind of the end of last season, we were talking about our defenders and the problems we had playing under, under the press or against teams that pressed us. Um, in the three we've got at the back now, we're very confident in, in, in being pressed. In fact, we want teams to press us. Mm. So I think, you know, that confidence in your teammates, confidence in the system, confidence in the game plan, I think helps all of that. And I think we can, and of course, as a last resort, and we have done this in many games, is we can always default to that 4-5-1 if we think mm. we really are under the cosh. That's a really familiar kind of shape we have sometimes now. And it just probably, it, it kind of banks a lot of players up. So even if we have to see out a period or, or a bit of a kind of tough 10 minutes, we can always default to that if we have to, if we're just thinking we can't get the ball out or we're, we're not linking up our play. Mm. And then we can build from there if we have to. But a good example actually in the game of mental strength, I thought was just the sheer fact that Doherty tried everything possible to carry on. Mm. I thought that was a good example from him. I, I thought he looked like he would definitely be going off a lot mm. sooner than he was because, you know, from the tackle, it looked like he obviously, well, he has received some damage. But um, And you can see his frustration. You see those things at the game. He really was beating the turf at one point because he, he knows he's in a rich vein of, vein of form, really, and he doesn't want to miss out on what's going on, I think. Yeah, I'm keeping my mouth shut until we get to that section but um, yeah. uh, because I have plenty to say about that. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think the very good points. I mean, we do like to invite teams on, especially when we get an early goal like that, because it's absolutely set yeah. up for us, isn't it? They come on, mm. they come on, and then we just pop them off. But as we will discuss, Villa 
perhaps took an approach that uh, made that a little more uncomfortable for us in the first half. We've discussed how we weathered that first half. Uh, we got to half time one nil up with uh, everyone talking about how Villa were battering us basically, and I think we've agreed that it wasn't quite that straightforward. Um, as a matter of fact, we we made a break late in the first half and 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 very nearly scored. We were very unlucky. The deflection was a look for all the world like it was going to fall to Harry for a tap in and ended up going out for a corner. That was a few minutes before half time. So, you know, we could have gone in 2-0 up, but we didn't. 1-0 up. What changed in the second half? Milo, continue. So I think there were two things. I think we started the second half playing a little bit narrower. So um, Decky and uh, Son came in a little bit, got closer to Kane, gave a bit more support to midfield so we could um, we could play through um, the numbers that Villa had. But, I mean, the big thing that changed it was was the goal and the second second goal meant that Villa had to come and chase us and that that created more space and I think the second and third goal there's a lot of similarities there so you know we, we were struggling to play out through their lines the first goal it's a long ball from Lloris he- head on from Kane and then uh, Decky slots it away and then the second one is a long ball from Romero uh, again a very cute header from Kane and uh, and Sun scores you know, because that we couldn't play through the lines like we normally do. You know, very very direct straight balls to Benton Kerr and uh, uh, and Hoybier, and then and you know and and spread it wide from there. We were we were going over the top of them, and you know that was something we didn't see in the first half. And um, yeah, once uh, once we're two 0 up, it's a different game, um, and and then we could play our normal a normal game because there was just space to attack because Villa had to come onto us. We have to talk about our front three right now. We 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 seem to do it week after week, and I'm left wondering, James, if there's a superb relative left that has not been used for the for, for any of them and you know is is Kane the best player in the Premier League right now in terms of superlatives I think I mean they obviously haven't all been used but the the one that springs to mind based on that performance is ruthless that second half performance um you know there's a lot of things we can say I mean we can say that you know that overused phrase of world class they are elite they're incredibly unselfish between the three of them which is you know credit to the connection that they've um They've managed to generate, and they've generated it so quickly. Like we forget that Kulusevski's only been around for what three or four months. He's he's played far less than half a season, and um, those three are showing a level of connectivity that you know we we pay out to people like Salah, Mane, Firmino, or or now you know Jota coming into that front three for Liverpool. But they're the only comparable attacking unit, really. I mean, Man City changed their personnel a lot to. I mean, I started thinking about Neymar, but I don't watch, you know, any of that French, uh, that French league really. But Neymar, Messi, uh, Mbappe on paper is potentially better than ours. But, you know, who cares? We're talking about the Premier League here. Um, I think, you know, I did a little bit of, and I'm not, I'm no, uh, I'm no Gareth when it comes to research, but I did a bit of comparison of our front three with the Liverpool front three, just in terms of goal invoke, goal involvements this season. And we do have to remember that Kulusevski's only been around, as I say, since the, the January transfer window, but between, and I updated these stats after the City game, between Salah, Mane and, and Jota, they've played a part in 61 goals between them this season. Our front three, uh, 52 goal, involvement, goal involvements this season. So we're not that far behind Liverpool. We obviously know what Liverpool are doing. They're at you know, another level in terms of league position, but had our front three had the whole of the season, we'd easily be on a par with them. We're only nine behind as it is. Um, so they are, they are incredible. And, um, yeah. And to answer your original question is, uh, is Kane the best player in the Premier League at the moment? I think it's between him, De Bruyne and Salah. And I think, 
I mean, that flick for Son's goal mm. was just ridiculous. The way that he glanced over one shoulder, flicked it in the other, perfectly into his path. It, um, you know, his all-round game, we talk about him most weeks, if not every week. We're, we're witnessing greatness. And I think comparing him to De Bruyne and Salah in terms of his, his all-round game, um, I think he is the best player in the league. Yeah. I think one thing that's very, very important to point out as well about, you know, this excellent trio, Antonio Conte has obviously found synergy with these three players, but more than anything, Antonio Conte has found synergy with the team with these three players, not at the expense of the rest of the team feeling they're just water carriers. Um, I think, Ricky, you brought up the point last week that one of the, that your positive for the Newcastle game was, you know, five different goal scorers. We're getting goals yeah. from everywhere. We're getting goals from all over the place. So, you know, when people compare Conte to Mourinho, um, one of the things that they are absolutely missing is that one manager set us up to play and serve two players. This manager sets up our entire club to play what's best for the team. And when you've got the three best forwards, arguably, in the league and definitely the best player in, 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 in Europe right now, obviously everyone wants to be part of that, but they're also part of the action that those players create. It, it's wonderful to watch. And, you know, the Benton cores and even the Romeros are just as important as how, in helping that front three be who they've been since January. And I think it's a really important point to make. We've scored 12 goals in our last three games. And Harry Kane hasn't scored any of them. Yeah. 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 And, and talk about selfless, as you said, James. I, what a selfless what a selfless man. I mean, he's a brilliant footballer. <laughs> I think what's great about that front three is that we've got the right blend for the first mm. time in a long time, probably since Ericsson, you know, before Ericsson's form mm. dipped. They've all got different skill sets, but they're complementary. And you know, before, you know, when we had Moore in there, and you know, Moore is okay. You know, he's got his strengths and weaknesses, but he's a bit one-dimensional. And so, and having a better technical player in there, someone who can create, and someone who can, um, you know, just just you know, a better footballer uh, has made such a difference. And and it makes us so hard to defend against because you know it can come from anywhere. Yeah, they are. They're just a massive headache for the opposition, and I think that's proven by. The opposition manager in all their interviews every week say, oh, yeah, we did this, but, you know, they've got world-class players up front. And if you don't do blah, 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 then you'll get punished. And that's exactly what we've got. And we, we're, we're so lucky to have that. And I think that's important with the cycle we've got with Conte. And I think that was part of it. We kind of know we've got two great players and we could potentially have three great players now to play, you know. And we really need to grasp that and make mm. use of that. And... Uh, be good enough to keep Kane, make him want to stay. I think the way things are going, I think I think he will. I don't want to really go off on that subject too much. I think we're beyond that. I mean, I think that he is as fit as he's ever been in his career. I think he's playing the best football of his career. I think he's found a pocket of energy with this club in the last three, four months that none of us felt would have been possible um, to maybe have found for another five years. I certainly didn't know if we would, but it feels to me that we have uh, a collective energy and self-belief and force um, that, you know, I, I don't want to keep on bringing up the P word because obviously it's been several years since he was here, but we haven't had this feeling since then. Mm. And it's fine for us to have it, but it's more important to see it on the pitch amongst the players. And they really seem to be there for each other and they seem to enjoy being there for each other. And, 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 and that's all down to the manager. Why would Harry not want to be part of that? Even Gerard told him, stick around. It'll be worth it. <laughs> I, I love that kind of 
that kind of cliche about people moaning about us not replacing Ericsson when you know Kane and Kulu are kind of you know more than kind of replacing the, that creativity. You know, kind of that. I'd, I'd be quite interested in seeing Kane in a team with a striker in front of him and playing him deep the whole time. You know, as he ages, as he gets older, I wouldn't be surprised if that's that's what happens. On an, on another point, I was just I was I was going to say this last week, but I think I kind of need to up my appreciation of Kane because I just think he's almost kind of he's he's such a multi-dimensional player now, and I think we've said before some of his passing is almost like Hodlesque these days, yeah. and I think I just need to sort of not let him pass me by too much and just think I I could be witnessing the same as someone watching Greaves in the sixties for yeah, all I, I know, and maybe I just need to bloody appreciate it more. Absolutely, and one of the things about recently that I've noticed a lot is you know Benton Core is obviously a central point of, of a lot of what we're doing in terms of passing out and, and carrying so if he gets pressed who's dropping in to pick up that ball it's harry yeah, and then I, you've got to mark harry and then you've and then who's out who else is going to pick it up it's going to be kulisevsky i mean it, yeah. it's, we're becoming increasingly hard i mean romero carries that ball with with real grace and real 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 touch we're becoming very hard to stop when you talk about kane i think i think you're absolutely right when you start talking about kind of greaves and hoddle i think he is moving into that category and you know realistically what you're saying there is that you know if you think about the kind of the, the modern great players we've had you know kind of Bale, Modric um, I think he's probably in a Spurs shirt I think he's moved beyond them mm. he's Correct. better than them. It's, it's been a lot a lot of seasons now hasn't it when you think about it yeah he's been churning it out and what, obviously he's eight season wonder better. or something I mean it's, yeah, it's ridiculous exactly. you know so you know arguably so in the post-war period are we saying he's one of the top three players to play for us Definitely yeah. top five. I mean, I can't say yeah. I, I didn't see Dave Mackay, so I can't I can't speak to Mackay. Different type of player as well, isn't he? So yeah, but we, in terms of the players of similar stature, one hundred percent. And I mean, I would put him above Greaves in the sense of he does he's a more he's a more complete. Jimmy Greaves is probably the greatest goal scorer we'll ever have. Um, but I mean, Harry Kane is is uh, is Glenn Hoddle and Jimmy Greaves together. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You know what? You're right. Fuck it. Let's just spend another couple of minutes admiring this guy. And we always try and dance around it. And we've had our dalliances with him. I mean, let me say my wife was talking, asking me about him yesterday, talking about like, you know, had to be born with that talent and so on. And it made me think about the work he's done. And I was pointing out yeah. to her when he was a kid, he was a pudgy little bugger, mm. you know, and, and he, he didn't, you would, I mean, if you'd have seen him at 15, 16, and many of us did when we saw him in youth pictures, I mean, we didn't see a player there. This guy has worked and worked and worked. I mean, I, I aligned him when I was explaining to her. I said, he's like the most athletic of border collies who is dedicated to chasing that ball until he is the best ball chaser you can be. He has a simple mission in life. And that is to improve himself. And, you know, he's I, I didn't know if he could achieve that. I thought he'd been thrown off by the summer and all that the bullshit that happened. But credit to him again. He's been he's been sort of he's been faced with another world class manager. OK, what are you going to do now? You're not getting your move. Here's a world class manager. How are you going to respond? The man has responded. He's doubled down twice over. I mean, Fidder better i mean he is he, yeah he's phenomenal and you're, you're absolutely right ricky we, we we maybe don't respect him as much as we should yeah and the, the reason i should respect him more because even going back to when he had those kind of brief appearances when he was younger in the europa league i thought there was absolutely no hope for this bloke i thought he looked quite a chuggy player and sometimes he would just fall over quite a bit to become what he's become is just off the charts and and I know it's and as you say Steph it's definitely dedication everyone's always said that he's just unbelievable when it comes to practice 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 and you can tell from his kind of demeanor he's just a massively focused you know he's got his kind of family thing going on and then it's just football basically 
And he's he's reaped the rewards for that. He's reaped the rewards. He's an unbelievable player. I don't think he would have improved as a footballer as much if he'd taken the big move to Man City. I really don't. I think being where he is with us and what he's gone through and almost having to prove himself again, because I don't think Antonio Conte is a man who looks at your name and says you're great. I think he runs a strict meritocracy. You do what I want you to do and you're in. I don't care who you are. He's proven that with his transfer dealings. He's had to prove himself all over again, and I think he's a better footballer for it. I, I genuinely don't believe this improvement would have happened had he left us. Maybe I've got you know Spurs tinted specs on. Someone tell me if I have. So I don't know about that, but he's certainly the you know he's the fittest he's ever been. I think you know I mentioned in the summer during the um, during the Euros that I thought he was carrying a bit too much weight, and I think that was you know kind of an issue towards. Uh, yeah, I, th- I thought that was an issue last season as well. He looks really lean, really lean at the moment. And and Conte absolutely loves him because when he gets asked questions about it, he does that little kind of like, kind of like, little <laughs> like that. He goes like that in as though you just don't understand like how great, you know, a player he is to have around and be a manager of. I mean, I really hope for his sake, because, you know, we know that he loves these um, individual records and everything else. But I mean, he, he currently is on, on Ballon d'Or form. I mean, obviously he's not, Competing in the Champions League, the the, uh, the World Cup in November, December will have an impact on on that vote. But um, at the moment, this calendar year, he he is up there with Benzema as you know as good a player as there is on the planet. But you know, you look at last season when he was kind of top scorer, top assists, and wasn't even you know it was rated was it fifteenth or something yeah. crazy like that. It's just unless he's in the Champions League and late in the chat, they're just not even going to look at him. I don't think. Uh, it makes a mockery of all that stuff, doesn't it? We know we know what we're seeing, and 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 frankly, so does uh, so does football in general. Because I don't think there's a team in the world that wouldn't have him in their starting eleven. So mm. anyway, well, I, from the from the joy that is Harry Kane, uh, I I do think it's worth touching on this topic. Going back to the Aston Villa game, you know, the initial question that we put together was, uh, you know, did you think Villa were reckless in their challenges? Um, before we go anywhere, I just want to read uh, the 2021 rule um, with regards to um, the nature of a challenge. Any player who lunges at an opponent in challenging for the ball from the front, from the side or from behind, using one or both legs with excessive force or endangers the safety of an opponent is guilty of serious foul play. Uh, by the way, you can win the ball and still be guilty of serious foul play, according to the rules. I'm just going to say something before we kick it off. I felt that. Um, Relating to the question that was asked earlier about the first half, I felt that Villa's extreme physical nature uh, really threw us off a little bit. I don't think we've had to deal with that um, under Antonio Conte um, yet. I think it was the first time we were really faced with it. I thought there were several really, um, if you're being polite, on the line challenges. Um, The one that really got my goat was the challenge on Doherty. It was extremely unnecessary the way Matty Cash went through him. Um, I felt that it was um, a scissor motion. I felt it was uh, reckless. And you don't need to make you don't need to you don't need to do that if you want to win the ball on the touchline in that fashion. And I felt he did that to set the tone. He actually looked and kind of pumped thumped his fist into his hand at his teammates, basically say, Let's get into him, let's get into him. And I felt that the referee really blew it by not giving him at least a yellow card. So putting a gag on myself because I've got a lot more that I could say. Wade in chaps. Were they too rough? Can I just say briefly on Doherty, while we've been recording, um I've just seen from Ali Gold that Doherty's out for the season. So it's a medial collateral ligament injury. What did I say to you? I told you I thought it was a medial ligament. He's out for 
you know, up to 12 weeks, they're saying. So that's the season and missing the Nations League games in the summer. Was his foot planted and then it came in from the side on his knee, was it? And it, his knee went through his knee. So yeah, so Cash is kind of side onto me. He's got a leg either side. He goes for the ball and he kind of sweeps him with his right hand leg. So he, he's not, he's not, he's not going through him, taking him out with his. No. It's not a scissor kind of challenge, yeah. but but he's got his leg planted and he swings around and takes yeah, him, yeah, takes yeah. him down. Yeah, it's an unnecessary motion where he definitely looks to sweep the player off his feet after he's taken the ball. Mm. There's no doubt in my mind he went to not quite do him, but he went to he went to shake him up. No, no yeah. way on God's green earth is he not going to shake but, him up. We can argue it all day. I completely disagree. You haven't let me say anything, so you don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> um, I, I've now let on that we've been... Pre- <laughs> it's preempting disagreements now. <laughs> Very good. I'm going okay. to make a cup of tea. I'll disagree, whatever you say. <laughs> yeah, disagree, because I know we're going to... <laughs> it's like we're married, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> so walk, walked into the room we're going to have an argument <laughs> oh good oh, good. anyway what am I disagreeing with I'm going to end up saying you've got a good point there <laughs> um, it, it, I definitely think that he, he went to um you know, to rough him up. I think, you know, that was definitely Villa's game plan. They were definitely playing on, on the edge. You know, I think the rule you're talking about there is kind of, you know, excessive force. So when, you know, when you're going into that kind of red card territory, kind of the recklessness, and I don't think it was a reckless challenge. I think probably later in the game, the ref would almost certainly give a yellow for it. I think he was probably giving the benefit of the doubt because it was relatively early. It was about 10 minutes into the game, wasn't it? Trying to work out how to ref, was he? Well, I mean, the ref was awful. Yeah, he, he, didn't have, he didn't have control of the game at all. Um, but, the, I mean, the, the two that were worse for me was the uh, Mings challenge on, on Decky and the Young challenge on Kane. And the Mings challenge, which which um, he wasn't in control of, and he, you know, if, if uh, Decky hadn't lifted his foot just before he makes contact, then again, I think that's a potential leg breaker. And it was just, you know, it was chance that he, that he did lift his leg then. Uh, Mings didn't even get a yellow for it. And then I think immediately after that, uh, Ings followed through on, uh, on, on Reggie and kicked his foot, which again, on its own isn't, you know, a particularly nasty challenge, although, you know, you can break a, you can easily break a, you know, metatarsal or something like that with those. Mm. And, and Ings got a yellow for that, but, but it was kind of that. Like a serial um, offenders, yeah, th- and you get they? lots of challenges on top of each, and it starts bubbling over and boiling a bit, doesn't it? And and gets nasty. And Hoybier had pictures, uh, had that picture on his Instagram of two giant ice bags on his legs afterwards, and he was very unhappy with the nature of things and had been complaining but, quite a lot. And you know, <laughs> but like I think, him. um, but I agree with James, really. I mean, he made a good point, I think that's. It's kind of a Stevie Gerrard fingerprints all over that kind of instructive kind of thing, and he even said like he oh, was the best we've that's the best we've played since I've been here that first half, and it was just because he sent them all out with a Stevie G Billy Big Bollocks bloody attitude. I think they're on the back of three losses, and you know he was yeah, but- he was sending a rocket up them apparently before the game and. He uh, in his interview after the game, he he had no problem with that, and he had no problem with playing like that throughout his career. But um, it was quite a one-sided, dirty game. I thought, like our players generally kept it in check. I mean, Romero managed to get through another game without a uh, yellow, which is nice. Brilliant in itself. In itself, discipline. I couldn't believe we didn't take him off when we got third or fourth goal because he was still going around, sort of chasing. He, he likes to go hunting Romero, doesn't he? Yeah. He likes to sort of you know just spin around the pitch hunting, going after people. But after those goals, because I think as long as he avoided this game, then he was in the clear because he can get a yellow next week and yeah, we'll be all right. Now. 
Mm. I'm so really shocked we didn't take him off. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he enjoyed um, kicking Coutinho, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. allowed one Brazilian a game. Yeah, everyone's got to have a hobby, and Cooties is kicking Brazilians. That's that's what he likes doing. I just think, there's where is the room for that? I mean, it, it, I thought modern football was about protecting players from that sort of stuff. You know, Ashley Young is standing on the touchline waiting to come on the football pitch. Is there a Tottenham supporter watching that who does not think he's going to do someone? I certainly did. I thought he was. And I'm just like, are we going to survive it? And I, you know, and sure enough, he takes out Kane. Uh, but what was the point? Yeah, there is, is no point to it. But, but, but no your, main protect, your main protector in the game is the referee. And he was, he was just fucking useless. Mm. Given how dangerous Kane currently is, that, that was another goal coming their way. If he didn't make that foul on him, it was, um, I, don't, I don't actually see that as being as bad as, as, bad as others do. I thought it, it was a professional foul, essentially. Put your hand on his shoulder and pull him back. And take yeah. the yellow like that. Do you have to go through the back of him? Possibly taking out an ankle that you know has already been knackered three times. I I just thought he was cheap. I mean, you yeah, know. I think actually Young is capable of that, and I think actually oh, it, it was preceded with. I think Kane did quite a good turn and a bit of skill, didn't he? Yeah. And sometimes some players think, "Oh, fucking ain't having that. I'm going to like go after you." The game was over at that point. Yeah, they, they weren't coming yeah. back. If you can give him the benefit of the doubt, he'd only just come on, and maybe he wasn't up to pace up to the pace of the game. But it felt to me it's like forty a, as well. I was going to say it, it felt to me like an aging player who, who was. Just Jealous of someone who's better than him. Yeah, yeah it could easily be that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that. there are going to be people listening who are, uh, particularly will aim at me that, you know, well, you can't be a nabby pamby It's football, it's a physical contact sport. I understand all of that. And I understand that we have players in, in Romero and Hoybeer who themselves are not, you know, are not beyond a tough challenge. But I do not see, I don't see us going out to do players. I've never, I haven't seen us go out to do someone since, well, I guess, I suppose the Battle of the Bridge was the last time. And even that was invited by them. So with Romero, I don't think he goes out Apart from Richarlison, I don't think he goes out to hurt people. I think he's actually quite controlled. He's he's snippy. He knows where the line is. I think he's in control of what he's doing. Yes. I don't think he, he yeah, I don't think he goes out to hurt players so much. It's just I'm here and you're not gonna get a you're not gonna get a sniffle yep. game. I, the funny one I thought was say so Hoybier got the yellow for the pullback on Coutinho on the line. There was nothing in that, was there? Yeah, and considering what else had got you know, he'd let go, it was an odd one, I thought. Mm. But I think Hoybier was just pissed off after that and and then was just ranting the whole time. You mentioned the Battle of the Bridge. I mean, there was times in that first half, I was like, bloody hell, this is one of those games. And um, the funny thing is, at the end of it, I mean, that's very sad news about Doherty being out for the season because he's become a critical part of the team and the and the step down in quality to, to Emerson is massive. But the funny thing was, at the end of such a dirty game as that, it's Lucas Digne, who's a dirty fucker himself, who's the one who's gone and um, mm. apparently broken a collarbone or something because of the yeah. Romero body check. <laughs> yeah, and that we was all laughed straight... at that one in the sands because you could see that he just that was a straight up like that was just physical body on physical body, right? Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I didn't know he'd done a collarbone. I mean, Doherty, look. I'm not surprised at all. I felt if we'd have got away with a three-week injury there, we'd have been incredibly lucky. The second it happened and the way he went down, I'm like, he's done. He's fucked him. He's completely yeah. done him. And it was just, it was just, I, you know. He played on. He played on for ten minutes after that, though, which is that's that's that which was which was foolish on his part. I mean, it, and that's energy, and that's wanting to stay in, and I understand that, and I get it. And I mean, pop. But he might have done and, more damage from playing on, mightn't he? Absolutely, and it, the adrenaline and any sort of like, if you haven't snapped the medial ligament or anything, you will probably not feel the swell of it for the first. I mean, fifteen, twenty minutes. I mean, you know, it you it will take a while for that to really kick in. 
as everyone has said, this was the referee's game to control and referees in general have to control games like that because if they don't, things like what we've seen happened. And and in in fairness, they can happen on both sides at both sides. I mean, you know, and so yeah. Okay, so let's let's bring things to a close. How do we feel this week about our top four challenge? Let's keep it tight. Uh, James, I'm going to start with you. Feeling good? Extremely optimistic, tempered slightly by the Doherty injury. Ricky, um, I'm yeah, I'm I'm really confident. I think um, I had a quick look earlier. I think West Ham can only get. 69 points now. Man United can only get 72 points. I think 70 points would probably get you fourth and us and Arsenal can get 78 points. And I don't see us or Arsenal really, well, Arsenal might do, uh, losing eight points, I don't think. So I think it really is down to us two now. It really is. And we're going in the right direction and they ain't. So Milo? Yeah, I agree with that. They've got a tough run of fixtures. Their injuries are, um, you know, I'd swap, I, I wouldn't swap our injury list for theirs, you know, no matter, you know, obviously the bad news about Dirty, but yeah, I think um, we're in pole position now. And kind of that turnaround over the last month has been has been phenomenal. And our next two games are very winnable, I think. And then we've got a kind of tough run of three games with Leicester, Liverpool and, and Arsenal. Um, but, it, you know, potentially, if we really play to our full potential and Arsenal continue as they are, we could be going into the North London derby, actually, where maybe it doesn't matter in terms of kind of league finish, which would be phenomenal. Yeah, can, I, can I just add, um, the other thing is, um, obviously, we, I think the curveballs we've got is we're vulnerable to injuries as well. We still are like operating on a kind of 13 kind of squad, really, 13, mm. 13 bodies. And of course, we've lost one today by the sounds of it. And the other thing is, the only thing that's a little bit of a worry, because obviously we were absolutely deadly in that game, but there might be small elements of Villa giving a blueprint to other teams of maybe how to play against us and yeah. that kind of thing. Because that's something we have to be, we look unstoppable, but um, if we're playing in a kind of quite patterned way, yeah. then it only takes teams to work that out a bit and then it become, things become a bit more difficult again. Okay, I'm going to add one thing before I add, well, I'm going to answer the question that I put to all of you first and say that I stick by my mantra that the uh, quality of manager is going to be um, the, the the factor in fourth place and I think that we're seeing that right now with the run that we're hitting and I think that's fine. But one thing nobody's considered about this first half is, I'm sorry, losing Doherty was a big deal. I know that he was playing on the left out of position, but he was there, was, there was a synergy there. And, and this team is definitely one that relies on synergy. Reggie's just, you know, got fit again, coming back in, probably slightly off match pace, if we, if truth be told, and wouldn't have been ideal to have played him from the beginning. So already things are going to be slightly thrown off, you know, um, but mm. w- with that change. And I think that was, you know, any little change like that in a system like the way Conti plays is vital. And this is probably where it's really important that we do not have midweek games and that he's now got a week on the training pitch with Cess, with Reggie, you know, with um, Royale, just to just to just to just to re-solidify, you know, what needs to be done uh, these last uh, eight nine games. So I think it's very uh, eight games. I think it's very important. Um, okay, cl- closing thoughts: one positive, one negative. Three, two, one. Milo. Positive. We've already mentioned uh, Romero not getting a yellow, so doesn't have his suspension. Uh, negative. Yeah, I think again, just those those first half struggles. Ricky, uh, negative is the well the Doherty news that we just heard because that means we're probably down to Royal on the right hand side, and I just still think in the attacking third he's not he's not that great, but um, maybe against harder teams that's not so important. Uh, the positive is the um, man with the best smile in football. It's Sunny, and um, it's just other 
Other strikers should take note. It's by no accident that two of those goals hit the inside of the post and went in. That's because he's absolutely quality. And that fourth goal was a, a joy from right down in the corner flag there. We passed it all the way through the team, all the way through, just like we did the other week. And um, a clinical finish. He's a great, he's a great man. James? You took both of mine there. Um, okay, I'm going to go positive. You can have him again. We don't give him enough. We still don't give him enough credit. But but Kane Kane's performance was, again, superb. Negative Royale in the attacking third is is a worry for me going into this last seven games of the season. If that's the only option we've got, I think teams will exploit that. I think you've got, I think you do have to account for the fact that Kulu's made everyone look better on that side. Mm-hmm. So I'm not so concerned about that myself. But anyway, uh, positive is Sun Young Min. Um, it's amazing that once again we're coming to the end of a match review uh, a player has scored a hat-trick and uh, really the first time we've sp- spoken about him today was uh, was Ricky uh, just bringing him up uh, you know people talk about him being streaky and you know he should have someone uh, I've been reading some ludicrous comments that he should have been benched and Stephen Bergwijn given a chance because he was having a rough time he, look I think he's a world-class player and I think he's repeatedly shown it he showed it again at Villa Park um, I believe he's second in the Premier League golden boot to, to Mo Salah. Um, and there's nothing to say that he won't catch him. Um, a, another player that I think we probably don't appreciate as much as we should. Uh, phenomenal. And what a phenomenal display he put in yesterday. Clinical, excellent, sunny, love you. And the negative is Matt Doherty. Um, and, you know, and challenges like that in general. You know, there's no no place for that sort of attitude in football and behaviour. Referees need to clamp down on that stuff fast. Because otherwise there are going to be more injuries of that nature and teams are going to think they can take that attitude into games. And there's just no, no room for it. And we've lost Matt Doherty to it. And I'm, I'm, still, I'm still angry anyway. I shouldn't be. We won 4-0 at Villa Park. And what a wonderful day it was. Well, we are talking about the importance of uh, players like Doherty and uh, we're discussing Royale and, uh, you know, fullbacks in general. And, uh, you know, the fullback, uh, it's a position on the pitchers gone through somewhat of a revolution remember the days at school uh, when those pitches were boggy and the teams were chosen you were shoved off to fullback I mean I don't know I was too busy flouncing about thinking I was Ricky Veer when I wasn't even Ricky Gervais uh, but you know what I'm saying fullback was considered the place that people got passed it out to if they weren't very good how times have changed I think it was in the 70s that we started to see fullbacks appreciated more universally and maybe seen as slightly more than just, you know, people you shove at the back when they can't score a goal. Uh, You know, within the last 20 years, the likes of Carfu, Danny Alves, Roberto Carlos and Philip Lam have rewritten the position, I think, and, and, and a perception of it. And today we're seeing, you know, uh, we had it, obviously, under Poch with Danny Rose and Carl Walker and Liverpool with Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson, you know, are, are wholly reliant. On, on those two fullback positions uh, to force the issue and eliminate um, any problems for 90 exhausting minutes. Um, did I mention that I think that Trent Alexander-Arnold can thank Chris Hewton for everything he does and that actually probably every modern wingback should thank Chris Hewton, not Carfu or anyone else. It all starts with Chris Hewton, trust me. Um, anyway, <clears throat> I'm going to go to you first, Milo. Uh, you know, what are the reasons why we have seen the development of wingbacks and more attacking fullbacks in football, specifically in the last 20 years? Inside forwards basically, because the development of football tactics is about space, where space is on the pitch, exploiting space and closing that space off. And as you've started seeing 
you know the move from wingers to inside forwards so you know kind of front threes or front fours uh, and players playing on the wrong side so that they can get shots off um, that's created a space out, out wide that needs to be filled and that's been filled by either attacking fullbacks or wingbacks. James how important do you think it is now to have four top quality fullbacks and wingbacks especially given what Milo's just been saying about you know what, how and why they become so important you know is it the position where rotation is most needed in modern football especially under a manager like Conte I think yes mm. we do need four and as Doherty's just shown I mean they're you know they're prone to they're prone to burnout and they're prone to getting stretched physically so yeah I, I think going into next season it would be good to have four four good options the Athletic ran a piece this week um, on our summer transfer plans, and I think they were saying there that we were looking to get uh, a left and right wing back in this summer. So it certainly looks like that's the plan. Yeah, I mean we've seen Nuno and Conte use fullbacks and wingbacks quite differently, um, Ricky. Uh, you know, what do you think of the changes and how suited are our players to each role? I mean, maybe take a view as to what Nuno is doing, and maybe Emerson Royale is a very, very good player to discuss now because you know he's played for two managers who have two very different approaches to uh, how they feel a fullback operates in the team well i mean obviously it seems a bit of a silly move now considering nuno was only here for two three months because royale was obviously purchased for the four well i say the four at the back i meant nuno played three at the back for a lot of time for most of his time at wolves and um then was playing four at the back for us and royal fitted that perfectly and we all i think we all agree that as a right back i think royal is a decent player it's very good defensively. He's a bit, um, I think he's a bit kind of one bissaka really, like at Man U. Mm-hmm. I think he's quite similar in that sense when he's not very good going forward either. But, um, and then ironically, um, Doherty, who did play, uh, for Wolves in the, th- uh, as a wing back, then wasn't used at all. So he was then out of sorts or out of favour because of that. Um, I think Reggie, the good thing with Reggie and Sess is I think the good thing with wing backs and full backs, it's quite good if you can kind of, imagine them playing either of those roles quite comfortably without thinking they're specialist in the same way as you might think Rose could or Walker could I mean we'll get on to that probably in a bit but I think um, obviously as an attacking threat Conte is really looking at the wing backs to have an input and uh, on a creative side and a linking you know one wing to the other and we've started to see that now so that's a good thing I think we're starting to see the fruits of that and um, I think Conte said himself that really does please him when he, he sees that coming together because it's one of the big training ground things I think he works on. And of course, we need that because like we said, um, when we're relying on just kind of attacks through the middle, we've now got plenty of width to go with that. So the options become more endless. Um, but as, as well, I mean, looking at who we're left with now, now Doherty's injured, we're going to have to kind of, we're going to kind of scratch our heads and just hopefully I've, so hopefully I can have the same faith as you, Steph, that Royal can, can f- fulfil that role on the right. Well, Milo, it brings up an, an interesting point. And obviously, we're, we, you know, we've made some notes on this fullback section for quite some time. And the Doherty news you just told us has sort of thrown a bit of a cat amongst the pigeons and made this uh, a conversation point. You know, Conte's used inverted fullbacks a few times. Um, you know, what is he trying to achieve when he does? And I guess another ad- addition to that now would be, could you see him using... Reggie is an inverted fullback. Could you see Reggie playing on the right sometimes to with with Cess on the left? Is that a possibility or other way around? I think it's more likely he's played Cess on the right once, hasn't he? Um, so it's a possibility. And you know, obviously, we started the game yesterday and last week with Doherty on the wrong on the wrong side. Um, when we could, we kind of originally drafted these questions, 
it was a, a you know a switch he'd made at half time in a couple of games particularly against teams that were sitting deep and the reason for that was basically they were showing royal down the line because they knew he couldn't do anything from there um and all of their game plan was around us trying to get you know forcing us to put crosses into the center of the box where they could crowd us out and we had forwards kind of jumping for headers from a from a standing position which you you know these are low quality chances you're not you're not going to score from there doesn't matter who you are you're not going to score from there and what he's trying to do by switching it when he's done that is that instead of um going down the line you're going to cut across square across the box and be able to get a shot off and then you might be able to get scraps off uh off the balls coming 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 uh off that that's become less of a thing you're not going to see that so much say since january because that's the kind of run that cooler can make and so you know it's it's less less of a less of a problem and Kulu has solved a lot of I agree with you what you were saying earlier on about Royal in that Kulu has solved a lot of those problems and he's definitely you know with Doherty because Doherty wants to run into the box he's been staying wide and I think what we'll probably see is him playing coming inside more as he's playing with Royal more because Royal will go down the line. Yeah, I was just going to pick up on that because I think when you when you play as an inverted fullback, you kind of, as you say, you're not going to the byline. You're kind of normally cutting in sort of penalty box line. Mm-hmm, and if right. you're delivering a cross, because I think, um, in fact, I think I think Doherty played on the left hand side at Southampton at St Mary's as well, and yeah. he delivered some quite good crosses. That's right. That, that, that was a change. And point, I think, yeah. and I think, if you cut in and you're about to swing across and you're aiming, let's say, to curl it to the back post, I think that's a lot more of a dangerous cross because it's quite flatter. Yeah. And I think. Going back to what you were saying about Kulu, I mean, obviously he's not playing a wing-back role, but he plays a lot of them kind of crosses as well. He cuts in quite often and just swings it, and it's very, very hard to defend because you don't need a much... You can do sort of a heavy header or a light-touch header, and it kind of tricks the goalkeeper. But I think when we were trying it before, when we weren't so good, we were kind of thinking, yeah, we're cutting in and crossing it, but like, who are we crossing it to? That was yeah. the problem, really, then. That was the problem, and now the options seem more endless. When we think of modern fullbacks and wing-backs... Uh, Spurs, James. Who who comes to mind? Who comes to mind as 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 premier figures? I mean, the days of Rose and Walker were kind of our glory glory phase, weren't they? I mean, Bale was a uh, a bit of a marauding wing back for a while, mm. um, and very good at it. Um, before he got because he was just so bloody good, got you know pushed into a more permanently advanced role. But um, yeah, we we we've seemed to have had a bit more of a leaning towards the left side. I mean, Walker's the best example I can think for, on the right. And there were flaws in, you know, flaws in his game. But he, as soon as he hit that kind of that top level under the the pot years, Pep, that was one of Pep's first signings, wasn't it? I think when I look back, I think that one of the, I mean, oh, look, Chris Hutton aside, which I've gone on about, and I love Chris Hutton and so on and so forth. But I mean, he was definitely a swashbuckling fullback. He was not a wingback per se. I think when I think of us first looking to break into wingback territory, I think of Glenn Hoddle, uh, who who really, you know, really wanted that three five two, didn't he? And he, mm. Christian Zieger, I think of as a signing that yeah. he made that was really uh, probably the f- the first genuine sort of wingback I remember us signing and having. Yeah. And it was a pity his career was truncated. Well, Stephen Carr always had. Had potential to be that, but he still yeah. was more of a marauding fullback. But I always wondered if he could have been trained into it. But I think I remember the, the wingback coming alive under Hoddle first, uh, right? Does that sound about right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, amazing left foot seeger. He could put a beautiful mm. cross in. And just just plagued in with mind. injury, wasn't he? It was a, a yeah. sad, really, uh, what happened there. But yeah, I mean, I, I and then of course I think in the I really do think in the modern game, I mean, everyone talks about Liverpool, and quite rightly so, because Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Andy Robertson are superb. 
they're brilliant. I mean, the consistency is amazing. And Alexander-Arnold has come through what I consider to be, uh, you know, the sort of slump that anyone would after several years of, of football as he played. But I think Poch set the template, really, with, uh, with, with Rose and Walker. I thought there were a couple of seasons where they were absolutely unstoppable. And I mean, mm. I, you know, you think of beating Chelsea 2-0 at the lane and, you know, the peak of their powers, both of them, they were both, both superb, superb players. I mean, they, they're the, probably the quintessential modern wingbacks for me. I mean, I don't know if anyone else agrees. No, I'd agree. But ironically, they're, I mean, Rose and Walker and Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robertson are playing fullback. They're not actually mm-hmm. wingbacks. This isn't, yeah. they're, you know, they're not playing a 3-5-2 system. But when you watch the game, you think they absolutely dominate their wing. Yeah. And it's just the, it's the pace and power, I think. And also, I think you can scare the other team if you know, especially like when you think of Trent Alexander-Arnold, if they know that you can deliver, they know that you're a danger man. And that reflects back to what you're saying in the old days, met before, like a fullback would just control their little 15-yard by 20-yard piece of space. And someone would play out there and you'd think, oh, nothing really untoward's going to happen out there because it's a kind of non, a non-affected part of the pitch. And that's just swiveled around completely that's absolutely where you know Hewton and Galvin in particular were, were were an excellent combination because they really did they were very aggressive and very aggressive attacking the ball and mm. and, and and pushing forward I think we've also got to bear in mind when we're talking about kind of comparing say Poch's team to Conte's team Conte certainly among in the Premier League at the moment is pretty much unique in what he's asking for from his wing backs his his game plan is very different to anyone else's you know, very different from Poch's and uh, you know if you take put Walker and Rose's you know Poch era Walker and Rose into this Conte team they wouldn't be a great fit they'd be fine going down the line but they're not going to deliver from wide like he wants so that you know they're not the template we should be looking for necessarily you know if we're looking at, towards the summer and what we might look to bring in it's not going to be a, a 20 21 22 year old Danny Rose or Carl Walker clone because they're not great fits for it they were great for Poch and they you know they're very good um, kind of end to end fullbacks, but then they're, they're not what Conte wants, and yeah, it's and it is a problem for us because not many teams play the way Conte t- plays. There aren't a huge, you know, you probably are looking at converting someone from you know a fullback position or uh, you know a, a wide forward position or you know a midfield position in, into that because not many people play the way he does. So it does beg the question, and uh, you know how I mean. He did it with Victor Moses at Chelsea. I mean, you know, are there players at Spurs right now that you think he could convert? Because, it, as you pointed out, the way he operates a wing back is a very, very specialist. It's a specialist thing. And as both you and Ricky have pointed out, marauding fullbacks are not necessarily always going to be wing backs in the Conti sense. So, I mean, you know, for example, do you see a Bergwijn being able to convert? Don't think so, no. He hasn't. He hasn't done it so far. I think if he was going to, he would have done it by I now. I think, yeah. I mean, I think Bergwijn could do it, but I, as, as Milo says, if he's not done it so far, we'd have sort of heard about it, wouldn't we? Probably through the kind of grapevine that he's been thinking of converting one player or another. But and, and certainly before Doherty's kind of turnaround, you know, he was in the doldrums for a long time, even while you know Conte was here, and he didn't fancy him for a long time. I would have thought he would have tried it at that point. I think it's the best route to go down it, i.e., trying to a bit like he did with Moses, trying to. Come convert someone with a bit of a better attacking side to their game and then teaching them a bit more about defence rather than a defender you then try to teach them to know what to do when they you know they're in the attacking third of the 
feel because we see that with Reggie he seems to be a bit kind of caught in the headlights when he does the attacking bit yeah so we're not I don't think we're perfect across the ones we've got and he might still consider because we still need to know whether I agree with James I mean I think Sessignon's definitely got the potential but the potential has to come forth at some point otherwise I, I think that's the interesting question so if if the Athletic are right and we are looking for a, a left wing back and a right wing back this summer then you'll probably probably be seeing two players leave I think we know that it's likely to be Royal on the right because he's, you know, a fullback, not a wing back. Um, but that means that one of Sessignon or Reggie's gonna go. I think you probably get more for Reggie. He's probably more marketable, isn't he? Yeah, Reggie would be the one that I'd rather lose out of those two, I think. I think this discussion is leading to a very interesting place with regards to what you were saying, Ricky, where, you know, maybe it's better to convert an attacking player into a wing back and teach them how to defend rather than go the other way around. But given that we're discussing the, the evolution of fullbacks, you know, and wing backs in the modern game, look at our history and tell me from our history which fullbacks you think would be a great addition to Conti's teams, i.e., which fullbacks from our history do you think Conti would be able to train in to a wing back system? Oh, I thought this was this was a hard question, I thought, because I was going through my mind and apart from the Ziga one, which I mm. thought was Probably the one I would have come up with. Um, I'd like to say Benny, but I wouldn't say Benny at all. He was uh, more of a kind of watcher and kind of, you know, he would back people up, basically. He was quite good at doing a bit of a kind of... He had a kind of Kulu attitude, really, where he sort of facilitated other players quite well. And I don't know, who's beyond that? Leon Poe? Who knows? I'm not quite sure. Bale might have been interesting. Edmund? Yeah, Mm. Bale. I liked your your Stephen Carr suggestion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you what, with Benny, can you imagine Benny going through automations where he's told you know, every <laughs> single kind of move is pre-prescribed and he can't do what he wants? <laughs> Benny, it wouldn't it wouldn't last a month, would it? Atuva's like, fuck that. Time for a drag back here. <laughs> Time for a drag back and uh, an audacious <laughs> shot at goal. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I I actually still think that Danny Rose in his prime would have been fully coachable into the wing back into a wing back. He position. can't cross. Yeah. He was told by Poch, wasn't he, to just cross along the ground. I think that it would have been a punt. So that's that's me. I think it could have happened. Beyond that, I'm I'm not too sure. I mean, you know, I know Steve, Pe- Steve, Steve Perryman, Steve Perryman could put in a really nice ball. I'll tell you that. Steve Perryman was pretty pretty useful. Trippier would have been good for him. Yeah, he would have made a player out of Trippier. A wing, he would have made a wing back out of Trippier for sure. Yeah, that's a good shout. He would have loved the balls that Trippier put in. Yeah, I'd have said probably no to Trippier when he was here, but I, I, he's, he's certainly matured into a good player, and I'm not quite sure whether that's his England stuff or whether that's Simone, because Simone is probably going to do a similar job with Trippier than Conte would in the sense of coaching him and telling him what to do. A lot of his problems were defensive, weren't they? And, yeah, and th- yeah th- exactly. There's not as much of that at wing-back. He's got a bit more support. So He's got Romero just killing yeah. everyone behind him, yeah. Yeah. It's it's very interesting when we look when we look back and we've had some we have had some great fullbacks in our time but it it is it's slim pickings for one that could actually step up to Antonio's regime and uh, and, and be trained into it but uh, then uh, again I think we're coming to the conclusion surely that you know the way Conte uses his wing backs is 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 very very finite and very very uh, fairly unique. Mm. Is, I mean, is there another coach that you can think of that has that uses them quite the same way? Not really, no. Especially not as aggressively as he does. And I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, regardless of if we've got two good ones, it's almost like you need sort of four because he wants to rotate them in and out, doesn't he? And mm-hmm. I think, and not, and that's basically to try and keep them on the right side of um, uh, injuries, I suppose. They're yeah. going to the red zone too much. 
put this to you all as the final question and, you know, fingers on the buzzer, if you will, whoever wants to go for this. I mean, as, you know, supporters who have enjoyed watching swashbuckling fullbacks many times over the years, uh, would you, I mean, take the manager out of it for the second. Would you rather watch a Tottenham Hotspur side with the conventional swashbuckling fullback, you know, in a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3, whichever way? Um, or are you more excited about the Antonio Conte uh, wingback development? Which Spurs do you think you'd rather watch, purely from an entertainment point of view? Don't care as long as they're winning. <laughs> I love I loved the Rose and Walker Yes, yeah. I mean that we were we were amazing to watch then. I mean they were so far up the pitch; they were basically as high up as Kane. I think with that team, we were kind of our proxy playing through at the back because Dyer used to just drop yeah, in did, yeah. and that like pushed Absolutely. Toby and uh, mm. Yan out a bit wider. And but we, having said that, the whole system was just dominating other teams anyway. So they they had a license to sort of push on. But as Milo said, I don't think probably their attacking contribution stats were probably. That great, really. I don't think we predominantly played through the middle as well, didn't we? We were. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. It's great to have that power on the wings, isn't it? Because the yes. other teams just find that as an avenue they can't then really get too much success down. And the player, if they are powerful, definitely gives the team that. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think aesthetically, I will always um, put the uh, the Walker Rose era of, of fullback, um, you know, marauding fullback dominance as my number one. I, I would always say that that's the most fun I've had watching um, Spurs fullbacks uh, ever. Um, I, I have to put that, but I have to also. I mean, yeah. The Chris Hutton era gets us a close second, but again, it's a different era of football. So we're a team in transition at the moment. He's had to yeah. kind of fix it together with what he's found with a couple of additions, you know. And I think if we put a couple of specialist wing backs in this side next next season, we up we upgrade on both sides. We're going to be fucking exciting, you yeah, know. We're I, good. I, we're I good at the that. moment with players who aren't quite what he needs. Wing backs who can take on a man and carry the ball the length of the pitch and deliver, you know, reliably deliver it, we're going to be saying else. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to leave it that we are witnessing right now at our club the, you know, the changing of the guard, if you will, from having those marauding, perhaps traditional Tottenham Hotspur fullbacks, if you will, to a wing back culture, which I'm sure we will discuss at a later date and in more detail when we have a full complement of them to discuss with Antonio leading us in next season's Champions League. Speaking of which, we continue our march on the grip on fourth place against Brighton and Hove Albion at the lane on Easter Saturday. Um, it's the third time that we've played them this season. Um, you know, they found a win to match their decent football by vanquishing the Goons. Uh, look, what have the other games against Brighton taught us this season and are we confident? At home, yes, I'm confident that we can overcome Brighton. Milo? We've beaten them both times we've played them this season. They haven't been easy games, I don't think, particularly. They've made us work for it. We're a better team than you know, we were the last time we played them. I think we've gone up several levels. Brighton are struggling a bit at the moment, although obviously they had a good good result at the weekend. Yeah, I, I am confident on this one. Ricky? Um, yeah, I'm, I've got a lot of respect for Brighton. And I think when we've played them this year, I've always been a bit apprehensive thinking, oh, this could be a banana skin because Potter, I mean, you can watch Brighton lots of times and they, they definitely can keep hold of the ball and play good football. Um, but both times we've then played them, I think in that cup game, and I slightly disagree with Milo. I thought at the, at the Amex, it was just like, uh, going through the motions win. Of course you were down there, were. weren't you? Yeah, they were like very disappointing. But, um, 
Uh, and I hope that continues because, and uh, to pick up what James saying, we're at home, so that usually adds a little bit um, of a kind of positive spin on it. And it's really important because once again, we're playing first and six points, we can mm. go above Arsenal and then they've got their three games and that really does turn the screw on them, I think, because, you know, it's Southampton, Chelsea and Man United, I think they've got. And I'd never imagined that we'd be potentially six points ahead of them going into them three. So, um, yeah. I think it's a game that, you know, where we definitely will show that our mental strength is, um, you know, huge right now. And uh, I don't think it'll be a particularly comfortable or easy win. I think it'll be one of those routine, you know, one or two goal jobs. And I've, I've no problem with that at all. I think we're going to have a few games like that against, you know, the likes of Brighton, with all due respect. Um, I think that I think they'll make it difficult for us. I really do. And, you know, I, I, I actually have to say, I quite rate Trossard. I think he's, a, I think he's a, a, a good little player and he's the sort of player that causes trouble if you give him the chance. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it'll be a walk in the park for us, but I think we'll come through simply because we're a team of belief right now. Um, anyway, thanks very much, chaps. Truly Thank suppose, you. Yeah. Thank, yeah. you. Thank, you. We'll, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's me saying uh, we're, we're ending the pod now. That's me saying we're going to stop waffling this week. We'll be back next week to talk about that game against Brighton and, and some other old waffle. So don't worry. <laughs> Plenty of waffle to come. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. So give us a follow and say hello. If you've enjoyed this, please tell your pals and leave a glowing review on iTunes and Spotify. As always, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. And uh, from the Game is About Glory to Matthew Doherty, we wish you well and hope that your recovery is speedy and easy. See you later.